0: Thank you, Brother. Thank you for those that serve with him and leading us in worship every single Sunday. Thank you for those who help take up the offering and serve in so many other capacities. We are so very grateful for you. Hope you have a Bible with you this morning, something that you can preferably open up if something if not, something else that you can turn on. and you will join me in Exodus chapter six. Exodus chapter six. also Um, If you have one of those bulletins on the back of that, there's always some notes if you want to um, use those, fill in those, work through those as we study God's Word together this morning. But Exodus chapter 6 is where we are going to continue and where we've been walking through. We are in a series of lessons from the book of Exodus that helps chronicles and kind of traces for us the lives as well as the deliverance of the Jewish nation. And we've been watching all the way from Exodus one how God has a people and how He has set apart a people and how He brings these set-apart people from lost from bondage, from slavery, and how he brings them into his purpose and his plan and his direction for their lives. And so we have just been walking systematically through this book of Exodus, and we find ourselves this morning in Exodus chapter 6. But Exodus chapter 6, if you think back when it was originally written, it did not have the chapter and the verse division. So when this letter or this book was originally written, you didn't have the division that we use today. So Exodus 6 and verse 1 is just the next part of the story um, that goes all the way back to Exodus chapter 1. So sometimes we will come in and we will compartmentalize different texts of Scripture, but when you think about where we're going to be at this morning, it's just part 2 of the same story we've been going on and on through. So this really falls in line with Exodus, the end of Exodus 5, or even Exodus 5 All the way along. So if you think back to where we're at in the story. The people are in bondage in Egypt. Been in bondage in Egypt for over 400 years. They get tired of it. They get enough of it. They finally cry out to God and say, God, will you save us? God says, I've got a man. Moses is born. Moses is raised. Moses goes to the wilderness. Spends 40 years in the back southern wilderness. And then after 40 years in the back country. God comes to him in the form of a burning bush, calls Moses, says, Moses, you're going to go back to Egypt. Now at 80 years old, you're going to go back to Egypt, and you are going to be the agent, the instrument for me to deliver my people out of Egypt. Moses says, can't really do it. I'm not that great of public speaking. And he says, I've got your brother Aaron, three years older than you. He will come and he will assist you. So then Moses goes back, links up with Aaron. They come back in to Egypt and they're like, hey guys, we've got this plan. See, God told us what he's going to do and everybody was excited. Then they go to Pharaoh and remember Pharaoh, he is not excited. And so the first thing he does is say, oh, well, see, you guys got too much free time on your hand. So he takes what they were doing and makes it even harder by saying instead of making bricks with the straw that we provided you, now you're going to make bricks with the straw that you have provided, that you have found. And so when we end it in chapter 5, the people are all distraught and they are all in confusion because now their job is even worse than it was before. Pharaoh, he's not happy because all of a sudden these people are coming in And telling him what to do, and now you have Moses at the end of chapter five looking to God, showing God what's going on. And last week we looked at how is it that we understand us being set apart when trouble comes. And this morning I want us to consider together how is it that we see ourselves being set apart when doubt comes. If you were to look up a definition of the dictionary of doubt, it means to be uncertain or to question or to hesitate to believe. And there will be some times in our walk, even today, that we'll get to the point that we'll think, well, I know this is what I should do or I believe this is what God wants me to do. But we come to the point where we start to hesitate, we start to think, is this really true? Can I really believe it? And there will be times in your Christian faith that you will have doubt. So then what do we do when we face doubt? So this morning, I would like for us to consider together these first 13 verses in Exodus chapter 6. And specifically, I want us to consider together the four voices that influence how we respond to doubt. Because as you see there in the top of your notes, doubt can either deter or define our faith. Now, I'm going to read, and if you would follow along in your copy of God's Word, I'm going to read these first 13 verses in its entirety because instead of working verse by verse, I really want to work voice by voice. So I want to read these first 13 verses. That way we have an idea of the entire picture of the passages we're looking at. And then instead of going verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, I just want to go voice 1, voice 2, voice 3, Voice so if you would follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read out of mine, this is how the story continues. Chapter 6, verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name the Lord I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel with or people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant Of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How, shall, how then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. I pray that God adds understanding and application to his word this morning. Four voices that I want to point you to here in the text this morning that influence how we respond to the doubt in our lives. The first voice that I want to put before you is the voice of our culture. The voice of our culture. Now, how do I look at this, Spence, and think about the culture? Well, you think about in the sense of the culture, the government, the society around them was Pharaoh and the Egyptians, and when God comes to Moses and then Moses comes to the people and and they say, thus saith the Lord, this is what God is telling us to do, what do we see the, the society around Moses doing? They are rebelling against God's authority. If you go back up to chapter five and verse one, Moses and Aaron come into Pharaoh and says, the Lord God said, let my people go. And then in verse two, Pharaoh comes back and says, who is the Lord that I should obey his Voice. You see, around us, we have this culture, we have a society, we have a government, we have a people, we have a country, we have a nation, and they are continually rebelling against the authority of God. And not just that they're rebelling against the authority of God, But but then, just as Pharaoh does, when he sees these people, these Jewish people, and they are turning to God, they're wanting to follow God, they're wanting to obey God, what does Pharaoh do? Pharaoh says, no, I'm not sharing my position as the authority, and so therefore I am going to make your life worse. Sometimes we need to understand that when it comes to the culture around us, not only do they rebel against God's authority, but they demand our worship. They demand our worship. Where do you get that from, Spence? Well, he says in verse five and six and seven, chapter, I'm sorry, chapter five and verse six and seven, Pharaoh is looking at the people and saying, because, "Because you're wanting to follow God, therefore I will make it harder on you so that then you then turn back to me." And there's this voice in our culture today that says, not only do we not want any of this God stuff, but then we expect you not to have any of this God stuff. <clears throat> I know you've heard me say it before, and some of you kind of dismiss me as being kind of weird, but I've told you before that our culture is confused. And in no way do I want to uh, be hateful or unloving, but I will often talk about the LGBT. C community. And somebody listening will say, oh no, preacher, you don't understand. It's the LGBTQ community. I say, no, 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 no. I know what I'm hearing. It is the LGBTC community because C stands for confused. Because we have a lot of people in our society today that are confused about what is right. They're confused about what is wrong. They're confused about what is up. They're confused about what is down. And we have an entire world that is chaotic and yet somehow we think living in a chaotic world we will find a peaceful Life, and you have the voice of the culture just like you have the voice of Pharaoh. And they're coming in, and when those times of doubt erupt, and you have these times of doubt in your life, are you going to listen to the culture that is continually changing its mind? It's a culture that's continually shifting the, the, the markers from what is right and what is wrong. Are you going to listen to the culture that is only concerned about the culture, or are you going to listen? To another voice and maybe that's the voice of the community. So the first voice is the voice of the culture and that represents Pharaoh and the Egyptians and how they are looking at the the Jewish people and saying you're going to do this and you're going to act this way but then also there's another voice that is a play here in this passage and that is the community. Now the community is the fellow Jews. The the community is the fellow Hebrews. It's the ones that Moses considered to be his people. You go back to chapter 4. In verse 31, Moses and Aaron show up and they tell the people that God's going to bring deliverance, that God is going to redeem them, that God is going to bring them this side of their land. And it says in verse 31, they bow their heads and they worshiped God. It's decided the people are like, yes, yes, this is awesome. This is great. And then you get to verse 15 of chapter 5. And what does it say? Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, and one minute they were sitting there going, this is an awesome thing. This is a great thing. It can't get any better than that. And then as soon as persecution came, as soon as opposition came, what did they do? They stopped turning to God and they started turning to the culture. How many times do we see in our society that our society is so quick, our culture, our community is so quick to question God? A sickness comes. A natural disaster comes. A diagnosis comes, a problem comes, a conflict comes, a pink slip at work comes, and we're so quick to question God. And in fact, it gets to the point. It gets to the point that when you go to chapter five and verse twenty-one, and as they come out of the hearing hearing of Pharaoh, and they just come into Pharaoh and say, "Hey, Pharaoh, you know, we said yesterday that God was God, and we're going to serve God, but now that we got to do all this extra work with these bricks, we changed our mind, and now you're God, and we want you to bring us relief." And then when they didn't find relief from Pharaoh, they came out and they looked at Moses and Aaron and said, "It's all your fault." And we have a community. That is not just quick to question, but we have a community that is fickle in their faith. Remember the story in Acts chapter 28? Paul is on his final leg, imprisoned, should say, a prisoner, and he's on his way to Rome to have a hearing before the emperor. And on his way to Rome, he's on this ship. And he told the guys, hey guys, this is not the greatest time of the year to be sailing. And they said, too bad, we're sailing anyway. So now he is a a prisoner just along for the ride. And then there's a shipwreck that happens. And as the shipwreck happens, they all wash ashore onto an island called Malta. And they get ashore in the island called Malta. Not only had they been for many days without food, they've been many days in this storm, and they've been many days distraught, anxious, worried, all these things that come, and now they wash up on the shore, they're wet, they are cold, they're sandy, all these things that are happened. So they think to themselves, here's what we're gonna do: we're gonna start a fire, and we get a start fire going, we can get warm, we can get dry, and we can have a little bit of joy and peace in our lives. And so the Bible tells you in Matthew or Acts chapter 28, in verse 16, that they go and they gather up. Sticks, and as Paul is bringing sticks to the fire, he goes to put the fire in the stick, and there was a. You never find a good snake in Bible. Never find a good snake in the Bible. So he goes and he throws throw the sticks into the fire and the viper, the serpent comes out, attaches himself to Paul's hand. And the, and you can go back and read this. The text says that when all the natives saw the, the, snake, the snake stuck on his hand and there's a whole lot of questions I have about this. But when the, snake, when the snake was stuck on his hand, they all assumed he was a killer, he was a murderer, he was a robber. And so because he did not die in the shipwreck, this is the way of the gods bringing about the fate intended in his life, but then the text goes on that Paul looked at it and he shook it off. He shook the snake off in the fire. That's where snakes, all snakes, deserve to be is in, in the fire. <laughs> and he, and he snook it off. He he shook it off and he landed in the fire. And then he sat down and it said that all the natives were staring at Paul, waiting to see if he's going to swell up and poof up and die. And when he didn't die, all the people said, Oh, he must not be a murderer and a robber and a killer. He must be a God. 30 seconds ago, he deserved his eye because of some unknown judgment they put upon him. And now, 30 seconds later, he's a God that they should worship. That is the fickleness of our communities. And we got to be careful, we've got to be careful when those moments of doubt come, when those trials come, and when those situations come. And we start finding ourselves saying, well, I don't know what to do, I don't know where to go, I don't know what decision I should make. We have the culture's voice that are always trying to pound in our ears and saying, this is what you should do. But we know, hey, the culture, they are known to rebel against God and to demand the worship of us against God. The wishes of God. And then we also think about our community. I'm not saying that all communities are bad. But we need to understand that our community by and large is very quick to question. And very fickle in our faith. So there's a third voice that we see here in this text. And that was the voice of our conscience. It's the voice of Moses. The voice of Moses speaking to himself. If you look back there in verse 22 of chapter 5, it says, that Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? And then you look down there in verse 9 of chapter 6. And Moses thus spoke to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of the broken spirit and the harshness of slavery. So Moses is talking to them, but they're not listening to Moses. And then you get chapter 6 and verse 12. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. Moses is sitting there looking at God and saying, God, I don't know what to do. God, I am out of ideas. And he even starts questioning if he is doing what he should be doing. One of the things that you learn in parenting, at least from my perspective, is there are things that I do not know that I do not know. And, and there are things that you learn along the way. And when we think about our Christian life, when we think about our just our life in general, we know what we learn. This morning in Sunday school, Mo was talking about being told versus being shown. And there are things in this life that we know because we have learned them, because we've had the opportunity to try what works and what doesn't work. We've had the opportunity to make mistakes, and we have the opportunity to have success. We've had the opportunity to excel, and we have had the opportunity to fall back. We have got, to where gotten to where we've gotten because we have learned. And so there's sometimes God does things, things to our lives. I want you to learn that I'm faithful. I want you to learn that my word is true. I want you to learn that I'm enough. I want you to learn that even in the moments of crisis and in the times of doubt, I am still a reliable God. So Moses comes in here in this passage, and as God is speaking to Moses, that goes back to, to, to chapter 6 and verse 1. God is speaking to Moses, but as you get down there to verse 10, Moses is like, God, I hear you, but God, I'm having a hard time understanding you. God, I hear you, but God, I'm having a hard time making sense of what you're saying. And sometimes we need to be careful because it's not just the culture and it's not just the community, but our own conscience can influence influence us in a harmful way. I put there in your notes. Sometimes sometimes we will choose comfort over or before conviction. I want to take a few moments to explain what I mean by that. The conviction of God will come. The conviction of God has come upon Moses. Yeah, that's where you get in chapter 6, verses 1, all the way down through verse 9. God is saying, Moses, this is what I want you to tell the people. Moses, this is what I want done. This, Moses, this is what I'm going to do. All these things that God is saying, this, 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 and this. And yet, Moses is sitting there going, yeah, I know. I know the conviction of God's word in my life. But really, this isn't the most comfortable position to take. Have you ever been there? But you know what God's word says. But you know what would please you. You know what God's word says. But you know what would please the other people. Growing up, Bill Cosby, before he had his massive fall from fame. He would do these comedy skits and you had them on cassette tape. And I remember listening to him talk about the story of the chocolate cake. And how... I don't have time to go into all of it, but talking about how he was trying to please the children and ended up in disagreement with the wife. He was choosing comfort over conviction. Now that, that, that same question comes into our lives today because we are constantly having to make decisions. We are constantly having to make choices. We know the conviction that we have, what is true, what is right, what God's word says, but we also know what would be comfortable. And so sometimes we will choose comfort over or before conviction. And then the problem is, is then the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes upon us and says, that wasn't right, you shouldn't do that, et cetera, et cetera. And then we don't want to deal with the conviction. We don't want to repent. We don't want to confess. We don't want to turn away. And so we keep finding things to try to comfort us in the midst of the conviction. And it started off because we chose comfort before conviction. And then we find ourselves with conviction trying to find comfort to mask the conviction. And there's this danger that Moses is asking himself. Moses is saying, should I just go back to Pharaoh and say, oh, Pharaoh, can we just work out some type of a, a divided government? <coughs> oh, Pharaoh, I must have misheard God. Don't worry about that. I'm going back to Midian. Oh, Pharaoh, don't worry about it. We don't need to leave. If you'll just let us have three hours, one day a week, to worship to God, that will be enough. There's all these questions about, Moses, are you going to follow your conviction? Or, Moses, are you going to do what's comfortable? So in verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel will not listen to me. How shall then Pharaoh listen to me? And then what does it say in verse 13? But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. It was like Moses comes to God and says, God, I have all these questions. God, I have all these other doubts going on. And God says, it doesn't matter what is comfortable. It only matters what is true. And something that you young people are going to be struggling with the rest of your life is what is true is not often easy. And what is easy is quite often not true. Or put another way, what is popular is very seldom biblical. And what is biblical is very seldom popular. And, and the question is gonna come up is the comfort more important than the conviction? And then when you choose comfort over conviction, then you find yourself convicted. And that's why we have so many people that are medicating themselves through a variety of situations, trying to find something to ease the conviction. In their lives. So Moses had this voice in his head. He had the culture. He had the community. And he had his own conscience. God they're not listening. God they're not going to follow. God they're not going to do what I say. Even if you look up there in verse 12, it's a, the commentators talk, it's a metaphor. He says, for I am of an uncircumcised lip. It's going back to when he was telling God back on the mountaintop, God, I can't do it. I can't speak. I, I, I'm not eloquent enough. It's this idea that Moses is saying, give me out of this. Get, let someone else do it. I don't want to be a part of this. I'm not enough. So when those moments come of doubt, you have the voice of the culture. You have the voice of the community. You have the voice of your conscience. But then notice this fourth one, the voice of our Creator. And I don't know if you are willing to mark in your Bible, circle in your Bible, maybe in the margins of your Bible, maybe on these notes that are back of the bulletin. I just want you to mark with me how many times God says what He will do. Chapter 6 and verse 1. Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. Chapter 6 and verse 2, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham. I did not make myself known to them. Verse 4, I also established. Verse 5, I have heard the groaning. I have remembered my covenant. Verse 6, I am the Lord. I will bring you out. I will deliver. I will redeem. Verse 7. I will take. I will be. I am the Lord. Verse 8. I will bring. I swore to give. I will give. I am the Lord. Over and over, God is saying, oh, Moses, do not worry about what the voice of the culture is saying. Do not worry about what the voice of the community is saying. Do not worry about even the voices that are in your head trying to tell you what is comfortable or what is the most appealing thing that would be uh, welcomed by people around you. Only ask yourself the question, what is the voice of your creator? And over and over again, you see God in this passage saying, Moses, this is what I am saying I will do. I want to remind you this morning that God has spoken. God has spoken. Now, how has He spoken? He has spoken to us through creation. He has spoken to us through the patriarchs. He has spoken to us through the Old Testament. He has spoken through the life and the ministry of Jesus. Not only has God spoken, and God is saying, This is what I want you to do. This is what I expect you to do. These are the standards that I have for your life. This is how I am going to judge you when that day comes. He has spoken, and God is speaking. Oh, I know that you have a lot of voices. You have the culture. You have the community. You even have your own ideas and your own thoughts. That's why we go around saying, well, I think, I feel, I believe, as if that has some type of authority. I could just imagine Jacob Harriet pulling a truck over the middle of the night and looking at him and saying, you know, it's illegal to be doing what you're doing in the middle of the night. And that person looking at him and goes, well, you know what? I believe it's daylight. I believe like it's legal shooting hours. It's happened. Yeah, it's happened. It's one of those things that they start to say, you know what? You might say that it's dark, but I say it's light. That's the society we're living in. And we start to determine what is lies and what is not lies. What is okay to watch on television what isn't okay to watch on television. What is okay to listen to and what isn't okay to listen to. Just because it says that it's Christian music doesn't make it God-glorifying music. And there's all these things that are out there where we start to listen to ourselves. And God is saying, I know that you have all these other three voices around you. What is the voice of your creator? God has spoken to us through the pages of Scripture in the past. But God is speaking to us even today. How does he do that, Spence? Well, he speaks through us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He speaks to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. He is still speaking through the pages of his word. He is still speaking to us saying, this is what I want you to do. And yet, very seldom are we listening to the voice of God because we're more attuned to the voice of the culture. It always strikes me. Side note, rabbit trail. This is for free. Acts chapter 9. Saul is on his way on the Damascus road, and Jesus appears, knocks him down, and when he speaks to him, Saul knows exactly who is talking to him. And I just find myself thinking, you know, I I would imagine if, if, if there was a bright light and a voice from heaven, I would probably have a good idea. But it was something about that he knew the voice of Jesus. He just knew it. And yet we have so many people that are running around today going, I have no idea what the voice of God sounds like. I have no idea what the voice of the Lord. I have no idea about any of this stuff because they're never spending time with God. Hayden, who used to come here for a period of time, for a season of life, and somebody that I work with. It's not a week that doesn't go by that I will see Hayden at work, and he will look at me, and he will say, what was the voice of the Lord for you this morning? What is he saying? He's asking me, am I spending time with God? Am I listening to God? Am I in his word? Am I listening to the spirit speak in my life? And so whenever God comes into the picture here in Exodus chapter six, God says, I don't care what the culture says. I don't care what the community is saying. Moses, I don't even care what you think. This is what I say. And God has spoken and God is speaking. But the crutch of this whole passage Is who is God? Who is God? Because that's really what it all comes down to. Is who is God? Is Pharaoh God? If Pharaoh is God, then do what Pharaoh says. Are the Jewish people God? Then do what the Jewish people say. Is Moses God? Then do what Moses says. But if God is God, then that changes everything about who we listen to and what we do. Just this last week on Wednesday nights, we were in the book of Second Peter. In the book of Second Peter, he's talking about this idea of how we're supposed to live in the face of the persecution, how we're supposed to live in the face of paganism, how we're supposed to live. And he says in, chapter, in 2 Peter chapter 3, and verse 11, he says, Since all of these things are thus to be dissolved, and that ties back in to the previous um, teaching that he's doing about the end times, but he makes this statement. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? In other words, because of who God is and what God expects of you, what kind of life should you be living? And that's really what it comes down to. Who is God? Is money God? Then listen to money. Is sports God? Then listen to sports. Is academics God? Then listen to academics. Is relationships God? Then listen to relationships. But if God is God, then why are we listening to anything else? Why are we listening to the other voices that are not God? And that is why this whole passage is so heavy with what God says versus what Pharaoh says versus what the Jews say, or versus what Moses say. You hardly get any kind of reference in these, first, in these 13 verses to all these other people. Why? Because they don't matter. Whatever is being said on your television is not more important than what God's Word says. The words that are coming across your screen of your, your mobile device is not more important than what God's Word says. Your gut is not more important than what God's Word says. Your opinion is not more important than what God's Word says. Why? Because all these other voices do not help define our faith. They deter our faith. That's why you have to understand that God has spoken, that God is speaking, and who is God. So then how do we connect this to the three core values of the church? At the bottom of your notes, you see... Just simply put in there, build faith and families by practice. We see it as an opportunity when we're raising children to teach them how to tie their shoe. We teach them how to get dressed. We teach them how to problem solve. One of the coolest parts about being a dad is watching these young men learn and develop and to Learn how to think. And we do this, and we teach them, and then they get in elementary school, and we teach them how to identify numbers, and we teach them how to identify letters, and we teach them how to count, and we teach them how to add, and we teach them how to read, and we teach them how to do science, and we teach them how social studies, and we teach them American history, and U.S. history, and world history, and when we teach them, we're constantly teaching them the things, but how many times when it comes to children that are leaving our families, we've taught them how to be faithful, and how many of our children that are leaving our homes can look back and say, I can point you to times, point times in my life that my parents acted only on faith, not by sight. How many times can we point our kids back and say, you know what? If it wasn't for God, we wouldn't have done this. And if it wasn't for God, we wouldn't have done, God wouldn't have done this in our lives. And if it wasn't for God, how many times are we teaching them how to live by faith? So we build faith in our families by practice. You can just imagine all of these Hebrew people. Moses comes in and says, God's gonna redeem us, and they're like, Great how. Oh, 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 God's told me to go tell Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's gonna let us go. And they're like, Oh, this is this is not good. And God, Moses goes in, he tells Pharaoh, Pharaoh's like, Yeah, this isn't good. Now it's gonna be bad on you. And so you end up in chapter six, and the people are like, Oh, it's not gonna go good. Oh, this is worse. It's never going to end. We are doomed except for God and what God said He would do. That's faith. When it doesn't make sense to your culture, when it doesn't make sense to your community, and when it doesn't even make sense to you. But God said, that's faith. So not only build faith in Families by practice, but teach people to listen to God. Teach people to listen to God. How do we do that? We have to know what God's Word says. Well, then how do we do that? We've got to know what God's Word says, and we have to submit ourselves to listen to God's Word. It's one thing to go around saying, oh, I'm going to just do my daily devotional reading. I'm just going to do my daily quiet time, and I'm going to read, 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 and I'm going to get my prayer time, and I'm going to say, all right, God, here's my laundry list. Here's my grocery list. These are all the things that I want you to do. do, do, do okay? All right, good. Later. not taking time to listen we haven't taken time to ask ourselves the question what is the spirit saying to me maybe it's because we're so busy maybe it's because we don't have time or maybe it's because we're more familiar with the other voices and we like those voices because those voices tell us the things we want to hear and they make us feel good about ourselves and they never bring any conviction to our lives and so we want to keep going to those voices and if we go to the voice of God, God shows us what we've done right and what we've done wrong and where we need to work and where we need to uh, do better and where we, need to be more, where we need to be more faithful. So we don't want to go to that voice. All we want to do is go to the voice that brings comfort to our lives, not conviction to our lives. And then and we find ourselves always searching after the voice of comfort When that knowing conviction is starting to build and build and build. And the path of least resistance, as the writer says, is the reason why men and rivers are crooked. Because instead of, instead of listening to the voice of conviction, we're constantly pursuing the voice of comfort. There are hard decisions that we have to make in our lives. There are difficult decisions we have to make in our lives. Jaylene and I are right now in a stage where these young men are looking around them in their community. and They're looking around them in their culture. and They're looking at their mother and father and saying, we want to do that. And their mother and father are looking at them saying, no. And they're looking at us and going, well, why not? Because we said so. Well, but other parents, and other, yeah, yeah, and they have different parents, and those parents have different children. And those parents will answer for those children, and those children will answer to God for their actions. So what I have, and my responsibility is, I'm going to give an account to God, not for Matthew Gillentine. I'm going to give an account to God for Eli McConnell. And I want to know that when that time comes and when Eli McConnell is standing before God that I did everything I could as a loving father to prepare him for that day. And that means that more importantly than teaching my child how to read secular literature or to count to five the greatest opportunity that i have is to teach them to know god Amen. and so that's what we mean by teaching the bible is teach people to listen to god and then this last one and i'll be quiet how do we be the church how do, how do we practice this core value be the church to live by conviction not under conviction. Now there's a difference. There's a difference in living by conviction instead of under conviction. You see, when you live by conviction, people say, well, why do you act like that? Because God's word tells me. Why do you not do that? Because God's word tells me. Why are you, why, why do you behave? Why 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 do you pursue these things? And why are you devoted to these things? And why are you committed to these things? Because God's words tell me there's a difference between living by conviction and living under conviction. You're constantly going around guilty. You're constantly going around thinking that people are judging you. You're constantly going around and going, well, do they know? Are they watching? in this life of paranoia. There's a difference in living by conviction and under conviction. And there's a difference as an individual even sitting in here this morning and living by conviction living under conviction. You think that you mask it. You think that nobody knows and yet I can see it on your faces sometimes. The Spirit is bringing things to mind and there's things that come in your head and you're like... I can, I can see it now. You don't shake your head like that, but it's like I can tell. I can just see it in your face that the Holy Spirit is bringing things to mind, and you're sitting there going, "No, no." You're like a catcher in a baseball game. You go, like, no, "No, no, different pitch. No, 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 no." And, and you're just trying to block it out. Why? And what is that? Sometimes it's the Holy Spirit saying, "Listen, not Spence, not whoever else is up on this platform, but it's the Holy Spirit saying." Huh. You're being reminded what is right. You're being reminded what is true. You're being reminded what you should do and how you should live. Are you going to submit? And we're sitting there going, I would rather be under conviction than be living by conviction. I want to be honest with you. It's not comfortable living by conviction. But it's peaceful. And I can buy comfort that lasts for an hour or for a day. I can't buy peace. And one of the things we learn as we grow and we mature is that comfort is temporary. Peace is long-lasting. And how do we find the peace in our lives? We find the peace in our lives by living by conviction and utter conviction. And so, church, when it comes down to how we respond in the times of doubts, and how we respond in the seasons of questions, and how we respond when the trouble comes, we think about the voices we're listening to. Are we can listen to the culture. Are we can listen to the community? Are we can listen to our conscience? Are we can listen to our Creator? There's lots of opportunities that we have in front of us. We've got a feed store here to the north. We've got all kinds of needs in our youth program and our children's program. We've got a full summer that's just packed with ideas and opportunities and events. And there's so many things more that we could be involved with as a church in this community. And put on top of that a community that is continuing to grow exponentially in population. We have no lack of ministry in this community, and in this church. And we could go and we could say, what does the culture want us to do? What does the culture need for us to do? We could go and say, well, let's just poll the community. What does the community want us to do? We could even come in here and say, how do you all think and what do you all feel? And I'm not saying those are bad, but we get them out of order. We could just go and say, God, what do you want us to do? And then move in that direction. Now, in order for us to do that, We have to be a people that are prioritizing the voice of our creator over the other three voices. So here's how I want to end this morning. I want to pray. And Greg's just going to play softly in the background. And I want us to just, I want you to just stay seated. Have your heads bowed, be quiet, have your heads up. But I want us as a church to have a time of reflection. Because I'd be naive and remiss to assume that every single one of us in this room are listening to the voice of our Creator like we should. So I just want to give us some time. And maybe this morning you're just sitting here and you're going, well, Spence, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to be doing. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm just going to ask you to just say, God, show me. Show me which voice I'm listening to. Show me which voice I'm following. Show me, show me the voices that I need to stop listening to. Show me the voices that aren't putting me Pushing me towards you. Show me. Show me. How am I need to respond to you today? We're just going to have a time of reflection. We're going to have a time of prayer. If you need to make a decision this morning, after the service, come up. Let's talk about it. And we'll take care of it. But how I want to close the service this morning is just for us to think. So many times we pray and we stand up and we sing and it's like, oh, good, good, a distraction. I, I'm not under conviction anymore. I don't want to leave you that easy. So let me pray. And I'm going to pause. And we're just going to go through a time, a reflection. And then I will close us in a final word of prayer.